This is Work of the Beat. It is Tuesday, December 8, 2020. I'm Kevin Cooney, along with Mike Kern. Glad you could join us here on a busy day. A little bit of a mixed day for us. Always glad to be with you, but in our second half of the show, we'll bring in our colleague Rich Hoffman to talk about our good friend and former colleague uh, John Smallwood, who passed away on um, Sunday night. We'll also probably get into some memories of Dick Allen uh, at some point on this show. Um, but obviously front and center is the conversation about the Philadelphia Eagles. Michael, how are you? It's always good to talk to my former colleague and boss who I, <laughs> who I love dearly, but not, I just wish it wasn't under these circumstances yeah, same here. and we all, we all knew it was going to happen, but it doesn't make it, you know, Kevin, I was talking to somebody, um, how bad this year has been in so many ways. It's just you just get exhausted and it, you know, it's just like you can't wait for the new year to get here. And you know, the new year is not going to be great when it starts, it, you know, it may not be great when it finishes. Um, but it's just been such a, yeah, I feel like I've gone through like seven dog years or something. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And we'll get into it with rich later, but I mean, it's just everywhere you turn, it's been bad news. Um, and pretty not, much. Yeah, And not just, you know, look, I mean, if you work in sports, you're, you know, they always say we're the toy department. Well, this year in the toy department hasn't exactly been easy either. Flyers were good to us. Well, I, I'm just saying, like, no. I'm, I'm saying from losses. I mean, you know, think right. about it. I mean, oh, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, yeah. you look at the Hall of Famers that died in baseball. You look at, you know. Jackie Shore. Jackie Shore. You, I mean, yeah. you, you go up and down and you. Yeah. You you realize how bad a year it's been, and you hope yeah. it turns around. So we'll get well, into the shame, the shame of it. What Richie Allen is, and I still call him Richie, um, is he's probably going to get in. And look, I, I was always in the belief that he was a fence sitter. You, you know, you can make a case for against. Yeah, I've read a lot of stuff recently that leads me to believe he should be in. You, you know, the you know where he ranked in his era and all that. So I've I've kind of changed my mind on that. Um, and, and, and he's not going to get to see it. Well, whereas he missed by one vote. And I know Froggy has put Mark so Fargno, who is the head yeah. of the gallon on the hall of fame committee. You know, yep. And he's going to get in there. Mm-hmm. I think if, if, you know, in a strange way, this is a stupid, don't take this the wrong way. This may help him get in. And I think that's the wrong thing. But because of this, I think next year when they do vote, I think he'll get that one extra vote. I mean, he he had to go in before the guy from the White Sox. Um, he had to go in before Al, Harold Beans, yeah. Yeah, he, he had to go in. You know, You're that's right. another argument, whatever. But um, And it's just a shame that his era in Philadelphia was marked so much well, by the racial and, things and, and, of the times. Mike, and look, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll preface this by when Dick Allen retired, I was three years old. So right, I don't, right. I don't, I don't have the baseline of viewing Dick Allen like I do on the players that I'm voting for. And it's funny. I mm-hmm. actually just sent my ballot for the regular vote away uh, today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we'll talk about that on a later show. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's a tough case. It's a tough case because he, he, you know, he's an MVP. He won rookie of the year. He was an all-star. He, he, Fiddle well, he was second. Well, what's the? I get my categories mixed up. But what's the OP? OPS. He was second to Henry Aaron mm-hmm. in that, in that era. era. 
And I think th- there's some stat that between 19, uh, I don't know. I'm going to get the years and, and, and I don't. 30, 30 to 90, he's the only guy with, with a number that high or something that right. isn't in the Hall of Fame. And I don't, and this is obviously not the way I expected to start the show, but we'll start it this way. It's all right. We, I, we can. Right. We got all and, and I, I look at it like this. I, I, you know, I didn't, I would have looked at those numbers and probably said, yeah. But I'm also, and I'm also recognizing that the people who voted from that era, there were some guys who had other agendas in mind, and I'll leave it at that, um, who took stuff more personally when they were slighted uh, by by a player and figured that was the way they used it in comeuppance. I, it's not right, but I, I'm sure that happened. Uh, there was Kevin, I, when he played in Philly, and I was old enough to remember this, he, first of all, he came up in a racially contentious time. Right. They sent him to Little Rock to play Mike. baseball in 1962, I want to say. There was the Frank Thomas incident, you know, where he became the black guy, scapegoat guy. I don't want to say scapegoat. That might be the wrong word. But And his, his era in Philadelphia ended badly. And that's what I think a lot of people remember, and fairly. I mean, I, it was it was a different time in Philadelphia then. It, as your dad probably could, was your dad a cop then? My dad was no, not not okay. then. He was in the okay, was early mid seventies, right? Right, and and that's what I think people. And they look at his career. You have to look at his career through that lens a little bit. I always thought that if Dick Allen had come up in a different town, where he wasn't subjected to some of that stuff, he would have been a sure fire hall. Like he would. And, and if he came up with a different fought. organization as opposed right. to Bob Carpenter, who. Right, had some serious issues, uh, you know, it, you know, with integration and all that. You know, it, it would have maybe worked out differently. The Phillies well, were not exactly. A, the, did you see the quotes in the open, like what Frank Lucchese said? No, I did and not. What? Oh, it, and Paul Owens, who a guy, I, Paul Owens, I admire tremendously, but they had all these bad things to say about him when he was leaving for St. Louis. Yeah. Um, and I understand that because you know. He he left here on a bad, and the Phillies stunk at the end of his time here. They they actually had a winning record his first four years. So, and people don't remember any of that. People no. who aren't my age don't remember that. But I have become convinced in the last few years, after reading more and hearing more, that I think, and maybe even just for going through that and surviving that, that he should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, uh, you know, and I look at it like this. It, it to me, it's. It's a shame. And the idea that he would have been, the vote would have been yesterday. If it was a normal year, would have either been yesterday or it may even been Sunday. And the fact that he passed away on, right. on the day that the vote. But if it had been four t- years ago, oh, yeah. if he got one more vote four years ago. Down in D.C., ago, yeah. Right. Do you think he's a Hall of Famer, Kevin? Uh, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if I have enough of a, of a basis of judgment because that's I didn't fair. see him. I, you know, and he's yeah. not the instant guy you look at and say absolutely yeah, you know agree. by numbers um yeah, the thing that swayed me was if, if to me if you're second in an era to henry aaron you're probably a hall of to me that's because guys like uh mays were still playing i mean mays was at the end of his career um i'm, I'm trying to think of some of the other guys that would have been playing then but it was a great era of baseball frank robinson was playing um certainly other you know i i when i, when I saw those numbers i was like okay Oh, yeah. You know, and, and, if Harold Baines is in, then yeah. Yeah. Dick Allen or Richie Allen, 
however you want to remember them should be in. Um, all right, so let's get to the Eagles. Um, do we have to? Yeah, we do. Okay. Um, all right, so they lose in Green Bay. Um, you know, in a game that it got close, but it really wasn't close. You never really felt they were in danger of winning the game. Um, but the big story is obviously Jalen Hurts comes in midway through the third quarter. Um, they get a little spark. Uh, you know, Wentz or Hurts throws a couple balls that Carson Wentz, to be honest, hasn't connected on. Uh, the one play to Rager down the down the left sideline, the other one to to Ward in the end zone for the touchdown. Then Rager runs the the punt back. But uh, you know. And I guess the question is, now that you've also seen Washington and New York win last night, or, or you know, to basically take almost two game leads in this division, does this change the way you play the rest of the year, Michael? Well, to a degree, yes. Uh, I mean, I don't think they can win the division. I, I, I just they would have to win if the Giants or the Redskins win one more game between them. They would have to run out. The Eagles would have to win three. Mm-hmm. To get to six, because they have the tie, they have a you know. Right, they're not going to win three. I don't think. Now, could they win three? Sure. I mean, they, they could. Win, they could beat the Cowboys. They could win the last game. And one of them would have to be Washington, because right. And then and then they would have to steal one of these next two. And you know, the Cardinals haven't been playing that well, but they're still going to be underdogs. But um, yeah, I I think here here's the thing I would say. I don't think Jalen Hurts is ready. I, I don't know, but he can't play any worse. Like, I don't know what's going wrong. That That's a totally different show. Uh, you, you know, Carson's going to be here next year, mm-hmm. okay? But the the thing is, it was 21-3 to three midway through the third quarter, and you'd thrown for maybe 70 yards. Now, I think there's been mitigating circumstances this whole time. I agree. But it's still on Carson Wentz at some point not to be. If you said to me, Mike, Carson Wentz is like the 15th best quarterback in the NFL. I'd say, okay, that's not what we want, but okay. He's the 30th or 30 or whatever he is. He's the worst quarterback in the NFL. He looks lost. He looks lost in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. Doug looks lost because nobody has an answer. So at this point, it's like, why not? Um, Well, and and that's why, like, I'm kind of at the point, okay, you want to put Hurts in. I'm not sure I would do it for the sink game. Oh, I would. Well, no, no, I would do it. And, and you can't this, go back and forth, Kat. You can't. No, but but I think my point is, are you putting Jalen Hurts in the best position to succeed? You've already matter. kind of ruined that with, with Carson Wentz. Doesn't matter. It's, well. You can't play Hurts this week unless he plays horrible. If he plays horrible, that's one thing. But if he plays kind of like he played the other night, you know, he's going to have some good moments. Mm. He's going to have some not-so-good moments. That's what rookie quarterbacks do, especially against a defense like the Saints. You can't just then say, okay, we're going back to Carson. For that. that helps nobody. No, Mike, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I would think about starting Wentz this week with the idea that you're facing a defense that's going to be very difficult for a guy making his NFL debut to go up against in the saints and you almost give Wentz a, all right, this is your last shot. Here you go. Oh, you would start Wentz this week. I would, I would think about starting Wentz this week with Uh, the idea, with the idea that if Wentz stinks this week, 
you then start Hurts the final three. Arizona, Dallas, and Washington, which may be more advantageous to get a better read on Jalen Hurts going forward than you would if you throw him against the Wolves. you're not, getting a read, you're not getting a read on Jalen Hurts. You're not, all you're going to learn from these last three or four games is that he's a capable quarterback. You, 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 and you sort of already know that. You, you kind of know what he is. He, he, he can play quarterback. He's, he's, he's going to do most of his damage with his legs. Um, he's a rookie. That, that's what, you know, he's going to make a play, and you're going to say, oh, mm-hmm. wow, that was pretty good. And then he's going to make a play, and you're going to say, yeah, that's a rookie. Um, but to me, if you play Carson this week, and you're in the second quarter and you're down 14 nothing, and the team hasn't done anything, then what do you do? You throw Jalen back in? I mean, to me, that's worse. I, I and, and but, There's a very real prospect. Do you know how often this team has played from ahead this year? Not a lot. Like, virtually not. So, th- there's so many other things with this team. Like, why doesn't Miles touch the ball? Why has... has uh, and, I was, and I was going to get to that. I was yeah, actually, actually going to say... For all of yeah. the, the the quarterback is the shining object, and I'm not saying that Carson Wentz has been good. He hasn't, and and and, and no, he's stunk. He's been awful, and, and he has to get up there in front of the camera and say that instead of saying, "I I'm, you know, got to work on it and all that." You can't, no, no you can't. No, and then the and, whole explanation about the other night, like I didn't know what was happening. You know, I thought, you know, I thought he was me. And and by but, the way, as an aside, yeah, CBS. Or did one of the most horrible jobs of broadcast, and I expect it more from Nance and Romo. I'm not the biggest Romo guy in the world. I think he's good. Right. I don't think he's worth a million dollars a game. They did not in any way understand what was going on or what it meant or talk about it. It was just like you know, it was just like oh, okay, here comes here comes Hurts. Oh, you know, wow, and they're and they're keeping. Oh, Mike, the, I I think to be honest, to them that game was about the Packers. Because they're That's expecting fine, to maybe to see the Packers prepared. in the Super Bowl that they're covering. That's fine, but you have to be prepared. I agree that when a, when a, when a guy like Carson Wentz is being taken out of a game, it's a big story. It's the biggest ever, story. Yeah. Well, it, it's something you got. You can cover the Packers all you want. That's fine. The, the Packers, yeah, you know, MVP candidate, this, that, the other. I get it. But when the Eagles had the football and that's going on, I don't care about hearing about Aaron Rodgers. And they fumbled the ball big time on that. And I expected more for, I mean, the, the crew the week before that yeah. had, done, had done a lot more. The Monday maybe Night even, Crew. Yeah, maybe they went, even went over the top the other way, but that's just an aside. It, well, it doesn't matter. And, and let, let, me, let me get then back to your original point. And this is where I am kind of on this thing. The quarterback position is the shiny object. It doesn't really tell the story completely. That the quarterback's not the biggest problem here. It's not. Yes, he is. Yes, no, it isn't. No, no. The quarterback, Kevin, you the quarterback, Kevin, you move up in the draft to take a guy number two. You give away a whole slew of draft picks or whatever you did to do that, and then you pay him one hundred and thirty million dollars or whatever it is, and he is the biggest story. No, the biggest problem, not the biggest story. The biggest biggest problem. Problem. Because if he's playing this badly, regardless of what the reasons are, doesn't matter. I mean, the reasons count, but it doesn't matter what Fulgham, an undrafted free agent, is maybe not or doing, or or second round running back. No, it revolves around the quarterback. Because if the quarterback isn't right, 
It doesn't matter what Fogum is doing. It doesn't matter what Miles Sanders but, is doing, or if the play calling's bad. But the legit the the pro, the, what I, the point I'm making, Mike, is Jalen Hurts behind this offensive line is going to struggle. He's going to struggle a lot. Okay, Jalen Hurts with this wide receiver core is going to struggle. Then you let him struggle, Kevin. That, that, no, that's not, I'm of, just, I'm just that's saying part that, of growing up. It's part of you can't not play Jalen Hurts. I'm not saying that because Carson Wentz could get hurt behind this line. I'm not. No, I'm not saying that at all, Mike. I'm well, not what, saying. What, what you, well, then my I'm, point I'm is that my point. Yeah, my point is that look, the quarterback is a problem, but the quarterback's also a part of a bigger problem, and the bigger problem is the personnel around him. That is absolutely trash. This guy, Kevin, the quarterback, fire Howie. Okay, that's fine. I know you go. Howie may be the biggest problem, but on Sunday afternoon when they go out on the field, the biggest thing and the only thing I care about is first and foremost is how the quarterback's playing, whether it's Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts. But you don't believe you don't believe that the problems of the starting quarterback. Tie in the fact that he his head is constantly he's seeing ghost at this point Kevin, because of the way the offensive line's performing in front he of him. Played Kevin, Kevin, that's fine. He shouldn't be the thirtieth ranked quarterback in the NFL. Okay, I, I don't. He played the last four games last year with nobodies, nobodies. They stunk. They won all four games against bad teams, and everybody was all over. Oh, Carson, you finally showed us something. We go into a playoff game against a, a decent team, Seattle, and everybody, it's a pick em game basically at home, and everybody says, well, if Carson didn't get concussed on the third play, we would have won the game. Okay, fine. He can't be the worst quarterback in the league. He can be. He can suffer. Yes, he, 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 he can struggle. He has This year, Carson's played well in the second half against the Ravens, the fourth quarter against the Steelers, and the last six minutes against the Giants in 12 games. Give me another time during this season when he's done anything. I'm just I, I would I would I would also reasons. I would also throw in like the fourth quarter of the Bengal game. But that's me. That's fine. Okay, fine. I'll give you that. Whatever. It's 12 games. Oh, Mike, I'm, I'm not, not saying I'm not saying Carson's the only problem. I far from it. But you have to start with the quarterback. But, but don't you? At some, po- at don't, some point, Carson has to. Uh, if he's gun shy, if he's still dealing with the concussion, if he's if the knee injuries have changed his game, whatever. But it's still you can't play this badly. Do you That's think it's interlocking playing. that one but goes Kevin, with the other? You, of course, it goes with the other. Everything is tied into everything. But you always want to. I'm not going to absolve Carson Wentz of stinking. I, I, they, there's no way that I'm going to say that. Other quarterbacks in this league play with not great guys around them. Not every team is blessed with a lot of weapons. Um, we've seen Aaron Rodgers in the past play with bad people around him, and we criticize the Packers. We go, "Oh, you got to put better people." Fine, I get all that. I get that the draft picks stink. I get that the line stinks. But you can't just say Carson. It's okay to, ha- to well, have no, the worst no. quarterback numbers in the whole league. And, and Mike, I'm not saying it's not time to throw Jalen Hurts in. I'm not. I would put, I would put Wentz in this week almost for preservation 
That's fine. On Hertz, on the other, end. I got no problem playing Wentz. I, I, I have no problem playing Carson. I, I but again, and I got to tell me what's going to happen in the second quarter if it's not going well, and you yank him for a second straight week. And okay? I think, I think the other part of this is that if people are expecting this team, it's going to work a miracle on this team. It's not. It's just not a miracle. A miracle what? That they're going to win three out of four coming Nobody, down the stretch. Nobody's expecting that. Kevin, nobody's expecting Jalen Hurts to do miracle stuff. This is not a miracle stuff move. This has nothing to do with this. This has to do with your quarterback had three points on the board in the middle of the third quarter and was down 18 mm-hmm. and had thrown for 70 yards. Regardless of whether it was Doug's play calling or lack of a wide receiver, you know, Fulgham caught 24 passes in four games. Now he's caught four in the last four. Well, that's also a, a, that's, that's that's not, a poor management of, it, of his snaps. At some point, you have to make a move. And if you want to put Carson back as the starter this week, I don't have a problem with that. That's fine. But you can't get into this herky-jerky uh, week in to week out. Carson might play. Jalen might play. No, that is, that, that's the thing you want to avoid at all costs. All I'm saying is at this point is Carson's going to be here next year. There's going to be a quarterback, either a competition or or Carson's going to come back better and, and it's going to be his job, whatever. Nobody in the Eagles organization that drafted Jalen Hurts, I think, expected him to play this year unless Carson got hurt and Carson didn't get hurt. But I don't I would rather see the young kid play just to see what he's got, give him a chance, let Carson watch. From the sidelines, if he wants to, if if he sulks and broods, that's on Carson Wentz. Then, then that's his problem. Oh yeah, I, I don't disagree um, with any of that. I would not. I would because this season has been so bad that I just don't see what throwing Carson Wentz out there again against a good team and Car- the Cardinals are a good team. They're not a horrible team. Um, I just don't see what purpose that serves. I really don't. You think Carson's going to all of a sudden find it? I don't think so. So so what's the point? Against the number one defense in the league or one of the sure, Jalen's gonna take might take his lumps this week, you know, but short of him getting hurt, um, you know, people do take lumps in this league. You know, there's a lot of Hall of Fame quarterbacks that Archie Manning took lumps, Jim Plunkett took lumps, Carson Wentz took lumps, uh, uh Donovan McNabb took lumps. That's part of the process of becoming a quarterback. I I completely understand, Mike, but I also I don't know. I and you know what? I think Doug will probably go with Hertz. Um, uh, I think we'll know that tomorrow. Uh, but again, it, it, you know, honestly, that issue is a big issue. There's no doubt about it. But again, to me, the other issues all tie into this too, and that includes the head coach. I don't think the head coach has handled this situation everybody. at all. It's a three-pronged problem. And it's Howie, the coach, and the quarterback. And they're all interconnected, and they're all tied at the hip, and it's for Jeffrey Lurie to sort all this out after this is over, what we do, how we go forward. Because next year, they're not going to be a good football team. No. In all likelihood. Because of the salary cap issues, the um, – um, yeah, now the division might be a new might be a new coaching staff in here. Might be good at, might be a new everything, but it might not be a new everything. But I'm just saying is whoever is the coach, I don't care if Vince Lombardi's coming in here next year. This team is not going to be good next year. Right. The problem is 
you have to make sure that you're good in two or three years. And you have to start with the draft. You have to, you know, in their draft next year, you have to get two starters and maybe two other guys mm-hmm. that contribute. Now, we may not know that, um, uh, you, you know. Day one, um, right. From day one, but I'm just saying is, so if Jeffrey thinks that Howie's the guy that can do that, fine. I'm not convinced Howie's the guy that can do that. Am I convinced that Doug is the guy who can, especially if Wentz is the quarterback, you know, you might get another guy in here and him and Wentz might click. I I, I don't know this. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I was going to bring up the main Brian Dayball, who's the offense coordinator for the Bills, who have a yeah, quarterback similar. Yeah, I know, he's really good, and, he does, and he's made Allen into and a he's really good He's made Allen into a really good one, and he's going to be probably a head coach next year. And Allen's a lot like Wentz. Yep. Um. Hey, look, there's going to be a lot of head coaching jobs open. I mean, there could be as many as like eight. Uh, I was trying to go through it today, and that's not even counting Doug all right. the Dallas guy. Well, you got three already. Well, who's the three? Well, you got Detroit. Right. You have... Um, Detroit might be spoken for. At, well, but but I'm yeah. just saying, Atlanta... Yeah, okay, Detroit, go ahead. Atlanta, Houston. Yeah, well, but Raheem might get that. No, no, but I'm saying those are the three, yeah. quote-unquote, interim openings What's now. the third one? Houston. Right. They're not um, going to go to Romeo. You're going to have the Jets. You're going to have the Jets, okay, that's four. Gonna have the Chargers. Chargers five. Uh, Denver, Denver, maybe. Maybe Denver, but I would think that's okay. But I'm just saying. You may have Chicago with Matt Nagy. Maybe. Um, I don't think this is my personal opinion. If Doug gets let go or quits or or whatever, you, you know, I don't think he'll have any trouble getting a job because a guy who's won a Super Bowl mm-hmm. three years ago, no matter what the situation was or what you might think of him, I think he would get another job. Maybe not this year. Jackson, maybe, maybe. Jacksonville will be Jacksonville, open. Yeah, Maroon's gone. Um, do you want to be the coach at Jacksonville? I mean, really? Well, you'll have the number two pick. So what? <laughs> I mean, well, no. I, the team if you're a program field. starter, you're you're starting yeah, with the I, number two pick and probably well, just the Eagles, Fields. The Eagles are going to have the number five pick. So, I mean... What the hell? I don't think um, the Eagles are a bad job if somebody comes in here if oh, you get a five but pick. But they're not going to win next year. I mean, you're probably not going to win next year. Um, By the way, Mike McCarthy could also be in there too. Sure, he could. Sure, he could. I, the, the problem there is I don't know if Jerry Jones will will bomb will him out after a year. Will admit after one yeah. year that he made a mistake. Um, uh, I'm trying to think the um, like so, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I'm not sold on the Ohio State quarterback as the number two pick. And and I tell me the last time Ohio State produced an NFL quarterback, please just tell me, because they don't. And this guy might be different. This guy might break the mold, but he's going to be the number two pick probably. I'm not sure. Trevor Lawrence, yeah, I'll take my chances with Trevor Lawrence if I'm the Jets. Um, if they if they end up getting the number one pick, um, uh, yeah, I mean Jeffrey Lurie holds the key to this whole thing, Kevin. Because he's the guy with his finger on the button. Yep. He can he can blow it up. He can be the guy who says, "No, Howie, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know you're you're like my son, uh, Doug, whatever. I don't know what the, the relationships are with the three of those guys. Um, I don't know how you can get rid of Carson, given the salary cap numbers and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it all starts with Jeffrey because. He's the guy that's got to decide what the future's going to be. Um, 
and I think and I think that I think that's a major problem. I think that is something that they they have to settle that before they start anything else. See, I would keep Howie if Howie didn't didn't no. do the draft. <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm just saying. I, th- I that's mean, a he's, big he's, if, and well, he's a pretty good. Well, if, if Jeffrey Lurie walks up to him and says, "Howie," well, let's also no let's also be honest. The thing you're keeping for Howie for is the cap, right? That's right. And guess what? They're, they're, they're screwed on the cap right now. No, no, but what I'm saying is somebody like Howie might be able to navigate it better. I don't I don't know this. What I'm saying is Jeffrey has the power to go up to Howie and say, Howie, I love you like a son. Okay, you've been good to me, We but you are not doing the drafting anymore. This is the way it's going to be. You're going to be in charge. You're going to be like, you're going to be like Andy McPhail. Mm-hmm. You're going to be up there. And you're going to hand, you're going to handle all the salary cap stuff. And if we don't, it all we don't. goes through you. But we're bringing a guy in here to do the personnel. And now, actually, as we've been talking, this has just moved. Jalen Hurts will start on Sunday against the yeah. New Orleans Saints. I don't think Carson starts the rest of the year unless there's an injury or. Jalen really looks bad, and I don't think Jalen will really look bad. I'm not sure he will really look good. Um, I think what you saw the other night in garbage time, admittedly, I mean, Mike Pettin went to prevent defense, right. and but that's okay. You know, the kid got thrown in there, and, and he didn't back off or anything. He tried. I well, think that's what you're going let, to say. Let me read you the quote from Doug Peterson on uh, Eagles.com, PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Come to the decision that I'm going with Jalen Hurts this week against New Orleans, Peterson said. We're not where we want to be as an offense. I looked at the whole thing and decided that for this week to look for that spark again to try to get the team over to hump to try to get everybody pl- be- uh, playing better. Carson is like all of us right now. He's disappointed. He's frustrated. He's been a professional through it all. He supports his teammates, and that's what you want to see from him, the leader of the team. I know sometimes the coach gets, uh, quarterback gets a lot of blame like the head coach does, it's the good with the bad. It's not about Carson Wentz. It's not about one person. We have issues on offense, and it's been a struggle for all of us. That's where the frustration lies a little bit, but he's been a pro, and I would expect nothing less. Yeah. Uh, it's time for you to call Rich. We can pick this up after. I, I want to let yeah. out. Well, no, no, I, I got it. Just give me a quick wrap-up. Uh, wrap oh, okay. No, no, I didn't know if you had to call Rich. No, I'll call Rich in a second. Um, Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I think it's the logical move. I think if he came out this week and went back to Carson, especially the way the team seemed to get a spark, the other which happens a lot when when the second quarterback comes in. And look, Jalen Hurts is an exciting kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like a Kyler Murray light. Um, maybe not even light. Maybe he's Kyler Murray. I mean, yeah. but he's that kind of quarterback that we're seeing coming into the league a lot now. Yeah. Um, I just don't want to see him get hurt, like like you said. I mean, you're playing the Saints, mm-hmm. you know. I uh, he, he, he Jalen hasn't gotten hurt, hurt much in his career. I mean that I can remember. Um, I'm going to be interested to see. I, I think I'll put. I'll tell you this much, Kevin. I think this is what it does as a fan. It gives you something to watch on Sunday. Yeah. If Carson Wentz was playing, I just don't know because I don't think we're going to see anything different from Carson this year. Next year, we hopefully might. Right. I don't think this year we would have. And my final words are. If you believe in faith and everything, light a candle for Jalen Hurts because he could be in front of an home Sunday afternoon. Or he could pull a big upset. <laughs> and then we'd be It is home. not as much of a get a big red bow for your car game, but I still think it's still a pretty good bet uh, on, on the Saints. When we come back, we will talk to Rich Hoffman. We'll talk 
some memories of our former colleague, uh, John's Smallwood. That's next. Work of the Beat continues right after these messages. Well, for a long time, for almost almost 30 years, uh, John Smallwood was a colleague and a friend uh, to almost everybody in the Philadelphia Media Corps. Didn't matter if you worked at the Inquirer and Daily News, didn't, work if you, didn't matter if you worked at a suburban paper or on television, or if you were just a fan, uh, John Smallwood was one of those guys who I think we all felt uh, was the best of us in a sense of, of kind, thoughtful, uh, not a hot take guy and uh, was really even handed on a lot of things. And obviously we lost John on Sunday and we, we wanted to take this portion of the program to remember John and to do so. One of the best people that I figured we could talk to would be John's old boss and his old colleague as a columnist at the Philadelphia daily news now retired and writing more books than you can shake a stick at. It's rich Hoffman. Rich, how are you? I'm good, Kevin. How are you? I'm good. Uh, and Mr. Kern is obviously here as well. Yo. Um, Yo. Me, me and Rich started at the paper like a week apart and left like a, a month apart. <laughs> our, <laughs> our, our careers were seriously overlapped. I noticed Rich doesn't, isn't bragging about that, but that's a whole, <laughs> whole different story. Hey. He, it's true, though. He was uh, You were about a month ahead of me on the way in and about a month after me on the way out. So. <laughs> That's why I had more seniority than him. That's right. Um, obviously, Rich, I mean, you've known that that John had had some health issues. He had health issues going back, I know, to his days in college. Um, but he, in particular, really since 2008, I think, correct, when he had some, some health difficulties around the World Series. Am I not mistaken? You know, it, it, it all runs together. But, yeah, the time frame's about right. He, yeah, he's, he's, he was sick for a long time. And just talk about how he had to fight through it. I mean, these these last couple of years, obviously he had to take an early retirement when it got to a certain point. But, I mean, how tough it was for him to keep going for a long time covering stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it was hard. Um, so on, on the one hand, though, you know, we were so we were both columnists for most of that time, and which meant we didn't really see each other very much. I mean, it had to be a reasonably big event for for there to be two columnists there. Um, so we'd see each other at a couple of Eagles games every year, and then if a team made the playoffs, you know, back when that happened, and um, whenever you saw him, so whenever I saw him, it was usually a pretty big event. Uh, you know, it wasn't like a routine Tuesday night at the vet, and. Um, so whenever I saw him, it was a big thing. And he loved sort of the camaraderie of the press box on a big on – a, on a night when it's like really, you know, buzzing and really crowded. And, you know, you know like you said, he'd been sick for a while. But – and you could see it in the way he moved around sometimes. <laughs> um, but you never saw it in his demeanor. 
like like I would see him at like at something like that, and he was just so happy to be there, so excited, just lit up. And uh, that's kind of like that's kind of what I'll always remember, Mike. Yeah, Rich. There, obviously, there's a lot of guys in our business, good guys, bad guys, in between guys, and and most of them were good guys. But John was different. I always thought, in the sense, he was so like kind and gentle, and and he could be critical of people when he had to be critical. But he just was a different. And I think it had to do with all the things he had suffered in his life. That I used to go up to him sometimes. Say, "Geez, John, I'm so sorry." Yeah, and and he'd go, "No, Mike, you know." Yeah, you know, it's it's okay, you know, we'll get it did he strike you as that as just kind of a guy that always kind of seemed to have the right attitude about life? Yeah, you know, you put it that way and it makes you think. And you know, I I don't want to be an amateur psychologist here, but to be a person who had been through the things physically that he'd been through. You know, he knew what was real and what wasn't, and he knew what was important really and what wasn't. And like he, he never felt and yeah, you know, he'd tell you what he thought about something in the paper. And he had plenty of opinions, mm-hmm. but he never felt the need to manufacture outrage about something. Um, and maybe that was it. Maybe that, you know, you bring it up, Mike, and that, maybe that's exactly why that, you know, he, he knew what life was. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in reality, Making up a, a loud opinion just to be a little louder than everybody else. He never, he never did that, and maybe that's why. Did you ever manufacture outrage? No, Mike, never. Because <laughs> you were, you, you were, you were never. Yeah, I, it would, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, no. It's funny. I often would start writing columns and not know what I thought until I was halfway through, and. uh and then once you figured out what you were thinking, maybe you try to hammer it home a little more than you should have, um, because it was kind of you know it was part of the art form. But no, I like I like to think that I really believed what I wrote. But oh, I didn't I didn't mean that you were making stuff up. I just no, you, you let yourself get outrageous. One of the things Billy King said, and and I think it was in the paper in the in the obit, but he said it on on uh, Angelo's show today too, was that the thing he loved about John was John could walk in. And like he could say, like Billy could try to say something to him and throw some bullshit by him, and John would look at him and go, "Come on, Bill, yeah, come on." It's, it's, <laughs> and, and, but he did it in such a way that, that, that there wasn't like this adversarial kind of thing that I think we see so often in press conferences now. Right, because again, we we are all three of us from a time when you could have a conversation with somebody. You could have an interview subject. You could have a minor argument with them. And the fact that the argument wouldn't become news. Yeah. It it was just two human beings working their way toward whatever they thought truth was. Mm -hmm. Um, Can't, you can't happen anymore because everything's on camera. So those kind of relationships are much harder to develop. And, uh, but no, you're right. He, he, John did that. And, because in the end, you know, I think people knew they were going to get a fair shake. Yeah, that's right. I, I think so. I think that's it as well. And plus, you know, the building of the relationships, I think, in this business is important. And you're right. Th- those walls are are gone now because everybody has a, f- a phone with, that has a camera. Every press conference is televised. Is there a camera on my phone? Oh, I guess there is. <laughs> um, every press conference is televised. 
And now the time you have with athletes, especially in the COVID era, is non-existent because, you know, the, of the walls, which have obviously been put up this year, it, it, that's that's the biggest change, I think, in the industry. Would you agree that that, that relationship has just evaporated? And that was an uh, relationships is something John had a pretty good feel with, with between athlete and player. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I can just go by myself in the sense that of how I tried to do things and you know, my stock and trade was to try to grab a guy after the press conference in the hallway mm-hmm. for just like two minutes yep. and ask like two questions and get something, you know, and you, you would have the ability to do that because you had a relationship with the person on some level and, and also because you had the opportunity, you know, you, you could grab somebody and, uh, you know, ain't nobody being grabbed anymore. I mean, it's just, you can't do it. And, uh, it, uh, I don't know how I would do the job. I mean, that was my only move, and uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know what I would do. Rich, when you when you look at it, also, and I know, look, um, Elmer Smith was at the Daily News before John got there as a columnist, but an African American columnist in a city like this, how important was that to have somebody like John who could handle the job in that role when it wasn't a common occurrence? In this city, you know, Claire Smith obviously was at the Inquirer as well, but there, you know, he was he was a bit of a, a trailblazer in that sense. Elmer Smith too. Well, I, I mentioned Elmer. Right. Oh, I'm and, sorry. I'm sorry. And, yeah. and before Elmer Smith, there was a guy named Tom Greer. I don't That's know right, if you Tom remember Greer. him. Okay. So uh, trailblazer, not exactly, but I I take your point. And right. he, uh, you know, I can't imagine the the spot he was sometimes placed in. As well, you're the black columnist, and so it's important that you say something about this or yeah. that. Um, you know, that's a whole level of burden. Yeah, that that Rich Hoffman never had to deal with, right? Um, and he, you know, he dealt with it, you know, like like he dealt with everything, just with kind of like equanimity. He was like, "All right, this is part of it. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll take my best whack at it, and." It'll be an honest whack, and and that's what he did. And but like I said, it was it was it was something I never had to do, and it was just one more challenge uh, that he had to deal with. Yeah, t- two of the things that I always admired about John, even though I didn't get one of them at the time, he was very much an advocate of women's sports, Kevin. Yep. Um, and and sometimes I'd sit there and go, "Come on, John! Like really? Like you know, nobody cares about that, or not enough people care." But he was adamant about being that person who was going to kind of. Stick up for that. And the love he had for his daughter was unbelievable. I remember when he went through that thing you were talking about like 10 or 11 years ago where they had to put him into a coma for like three weeks mm-hmm. to save his life. And after that, I saw him, and one of the first things he said to me, he goes, Mike, I just want to be there for when my daughter gets through high school and goes to college. I want to see that. And I, I don't think he actually did quite get to see that. But it, that, kind of, of, that, that kind of just symbolized to me who John was. And obviously, I mean, we would see John's daughter down in the green room down at Comcast back when it was the old Daily News Live days, and he talked about and he he gushed over her. I mean, yeah. it was amazing how much he he yeah. The two women in his life were his life. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like so when so this, we all get the phone call on Sunday, and you know it's funny what goes through your head. And you know the first thing you know the first thing I thought of was his wife and his daughter, especially his daughter, and. So there's that. 
and then you, then you then you get selfish and you start to think about yourself. And if you worked in the daily news during a certain time period, you know your memories of it are just you have these incredibly fond memories. Um, you know, and John was like cornerstone of that. And you know, we yeah, you can argue about how good or not good we were. We were pretty good, and we were well regarded, and. We had a, like a, a much freer hand to do our job than virtually anybody else in the business. And we all knew it. And we all really appreciated it. And now it's gone. And it. so, so when you get a phone call about Johnny, that kind of hits, if you were, you know, if you're my age or Mike's age and you live through all that, that kind of hits you too in a selfish way. It, uh, it's just a reminder of, of what was and what isn't. Yeah, it's, it's like something was taken away from you, like something else. It, it's like the older we get, Rich, it's like, you know, things happen, people will leave or things change, and you just sit there and go, that's one more thing I don't have anymore. It's, it's sad. Yeah. While we have Rich, um, let, me, let me, can I float a couple questions to you about other stuff here? You certainly can, but you have to realize that. I'm- I know less about anything anymore than anybody. Okay. And what makes you think we, we know anything? I mean, come on. All right. You're seeing this from 30,000 feet, though. I'll, I'll ask you the question that Kern and I always bring up again, towards each other. Which one's the bigger mess right now, the Phillies or the Eagles? Oh, I think the Phillies. Okay. Um, think about that. The Eagles are a three-ring circus. <laughs> the Phil- I, 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 the, to me, the, the, the Phillies have just this in, incredible structural issue. Like they don't, they don't have an organization right now. And, uh, to me, that's like the Eagles, good, bad, or indifferent. They, they have a structure. Uh, it is, it was, it was, it has been very successful at times, uh, and very frustrating at other times. You know, this, this is a, you know, the quarterback's a mess, but, you know, I and and the off season is going to be, you know, <laughs> crazy, and it's going to be hard. There's no question about that. Um, but they have, they do have, a, you know, they have a structure, and I I think they can. The structure can get them through it. Uh, the other guys, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. Well, and I guess the question would be, yeah, is it because they haven't moved on it i mean they keep using the pandemic as an excuse to not bring a gm in or a president of baseball ops or whatever they want to call it, it, it you're now at what would be winter meetings week it's like you have no grounds you have no groundwork for what your team's going to be next year and that's a bad spot right i mean but they had an owner they had a club president they had a gm um who was making the decisions I think we I think we all suspect it was the owner, but well, he's still there, right? So I have no idea. You know, I just don't understand how that's going to go, Mike. Yeah, Rich, can I ask you this? I, I think I kind of know your answer because I remember we talked before you actually left the paper about a number of things. But would you do you miss being a columnist? Like you know, this, this like the, the the Eagles are falling apart. Like you said, the Phillies. Who knows what the hell that's going to be. We get the Sixers starting soon, Flyers. But do you miss it, especially in this age that we're in now? And I, I assume we're going to come out of this at some point. 
Or if you just say, you know what? I had my time. I enjoyed it. I liked it. I just don't have a whole hell else to say. Or when you see goofy stories happening like this, do you say, man, I wish I was still there? No, I don't, Mike. Okay. Um, That's good. It's, um, well, but you were there for it. When I, right. When I became a sports editor, it was, you know, 25 or 30% out of an obligation to the paper because they were in spot. Mm-hmm. But two thirds of it was, I was looking for something different at that point. I, you know, I, I, I used to use this phrase with you all the time. I was, I was kind of tired of my own voice a little bit. I mean, I've done it for a long time. Well, and, you said uh, to me once, you said, what, what else am I going to write? <laughs> well, so, so like, like I said, I was tired of my own voice. But the other thing was, like I was talking about before, it, it, you couldn't, it was hard to play the game the way I played it. Anyway, yeah. You know, yeah. and, uh, no, I'm. I don't. I re- I don't miss it at all. I really don't. Mike. You ever think how th- how thankful that we were there when we were there? I thought you summed it up beautifully before when you said, you know, we knew we had pretty free reign. We could do it. I mean, we had like, in all seriousness, I'm not saying this for. Se- we had one of the great jobs in the world, didn't we? You know, in, in the our industry. I mean, in it, our profession. In the industry, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and we we did not have to jump through hoops that. People like Kevin and people at other papers had to jump through. Yep. Um, yeah. We had budgetary, especially budgetary things. We could go places that other pe- people couldn't go. Mm-hmm. We had better deadlines for much of the of the time, and and, and they'd let more. you they'd let you write like forty inches when you were really only maybe supposed to write twenty five. Right, and and they would let you take a swing at something, and you know sometimes you miss, and yep. but if you. If you hit for a good enough average, they let you keep swinging, and uh, it was a good, it was a great gig. It really was. Are you comfortable with the state of the industry right now? And I'm not saying like what you're saying with financials or anything, but we also know Colin. Well, well his son's a big part of the industry. I understand. Um, well, some people might not know. No, they're, well, they're, we have Rich. We have Rich. We have Rich on the podcast here. Um, but. But there are also people who write stuff who just write it to get noticed. I'm not sure they necessarily believe what they write. Um, well, I, I can I can tell you I think that was always true. But okay. I, um, I I worry, you know, I just worry about the finances of the industry more than anything. Okay. Um, I just I I, I it's in, it's just seems like it's inevitably going to shrink even more, and uh, at at a certain point it shrinks does it shrink into just meaninglessness and i don't know the answer to that um i you know i used to you know when when my son rich got into it i you know my thought was always you know the industry always treated me great and you know it's treated him well so far i mean Mm -hmm. the athletic where he works is i think a good place i really do um but you wonder Long term, I always wondered, well, what's this going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know the answer. Yeah, and actually, the funny thing is, I think the people at the Inquirer, as much as I, you know, we can see things happening there too, but I think they have it better than most. If we look around the country, in terms of still trying to keep it together, right? And and the the you know the 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 ownership structure uh, more sound. Th- Right. More sound. You're not paying a head. You know, it's not a hedge fund. You know, you're not paying a mortgage. It's uh, they have a better chance to succeed than most places. I think you're Mike. You're right about that. Do you mm-hmm. do you think that some of the industry has become too 
too cozy with the people they cover with in a sense of that. I, I don't know. It's strange it, to me. It's almost like some people like you were able to call teams out whenever you felt there was something wrong. I think, yeah. I think people almost it's become tribalistic. You're either they stink at everything or they're awesome at everything. And very few people can kind of thread the needle. Like I think Silsky's great at threading the needle between outrage and, you know, proper outrage and proper, you know, uh, law plaudits if they do well. Right. But I, you know, I, I'll, I'll take the other side of that in this way. Um, when we were at our, our height, like I said, remember I'm telling the story about, I would try to grab a guy in the hallway and get something nobody else had. Right. All right. That was access, right? Right. It was, it was access because of a relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I had a relationship with Joe X and I had the access and I could get the two minutes with Joe X, would I write something that jeopardized that access? Well, That's fair. It's a, it's a fair question. Now, access is less important now because nobody gets it. Mm -hmm. um, is that better? Is that more? Is that does that lead to a more pure journalism in some ways? Because you don't have to kiss anybody's ass to get access because nobody's getting. It. So, right. I have no relationship to jeopardize. Like I used to always tell. Um, I, you know, when like when the Eagles, like when I, I used to tell them, you should make the coach available every day and make and don't put him on a podium, put him right in front of us, because if you have a relationship with the guy, it's harder to criticize him. Yeah, but if you get if you put everything at a hundred foot feet distance, and you don't have a relationship, well, then you can throw darts very easily because what do you got to lose? Yeah. Um, so that's where it is today. You know, you talk about the tribalisticness, and I get that. I, I get that. But it's also, you can take free shots if you want. Who's going to give? What are they going to do to you? That's fair, too. They yell at the opposition. I, you know? I mean, um, so in some ways, I can make the argument in some ways it's better now because nobody has to protect their friends anymore. <laughs> and also, like I said, I think it's ridiculous some stuff that, that becomes news like a reporter and somebody having an argument becomes news. I think that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, and Mike knows this, and you know this, Kevin, we knew where all the bodies were buried. Oh, yeah. But we only put about 20% of it in the paper. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So what about the other 80% of the bodies? Why weren't they in the paper? And that... Well, I think part of that was editorial judgment on our part of we knew where the bodies were buried, but did it really matter? You know what I mean? Like uh, there was almost a little self-editing, wasn't there? Well, right. Uh, yes, absolutely. But some of it was also because we were protecting some. Oh, that's true. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I used to be able, and, and Rich says this because there'd be people at the Daily News once a year or twice a year would say, call Cheney. Like nothing's happening today. See what, whatever. <laughs> but I could walk into John Cheney's office at any time. And I never protected John Cheney. Um, but at the same time, there was people that thought I did or people, you know, just like, um, you know, Girardi might have got that reputation with Phil Martelli, or yeah, that's just the way it worked. But like Rich said, I had access to John Cheney. Mm -hmm. How many good stories did I get out of that? Now, did I write every John Cheney story? No. But you know, when when the Calipari things happens, you know, I, I knew stuff that a lot of people didn't know, or or the Goongate, or whatever. Right. And you don't have that anymore because 
I mean, as much as a great relationship we all have with Jay Wright, I don't think anybody's just walking into Jay Wright's office. No. And I mean, we used to, and, and, and Rich, you were around a ton with this. Charlie used to, we used to be able to get into Charlie's office or at least pull Charlie to the side and have a really good conversation with him, especially if you were on the road. When Sandberg came in, that stopped. You know, that was right. like, that was the that was the end of it on the Phillies end. And, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think it's ever, I don't think it's ever quite returned. And I think that's, you're right. I think that's part of the disconnect with the Phillies. I think and that Kevin, once the access stops, it's or over. once they realize they can get away with it, it's there's over. no going back. Yeah. Let me let me wrap this up with one final note on John. Uh he covered he was the primary columnist for that 016er team. Uh him and Phil. Um obviously Phil was the beat writer at that time. What was the the work they did that year with a team that became so celebrated. Uh, kind of what do you think back to that year and how John and, and Phil kind of approached that that season with the Sixers that you guys had? You know, I, I it, it's hard to remember, you know, exactly. Right. But it's been 19 years, time, which is hard to believe. Yeah. At the same time, I'll, I'll go back to you know what kind of what I was talking about at the beginning, which is I, John was the Sixers columnist, but when it got hot and heavy, we all got thrown in, right? And they, he and Phil were were kind of like riding a runaway tiger, and they were just they were hanging on, you know, and they knew they both knew, and you could tell how special this was, and and they, you know. You know, you remember what that was like. I, I, I can still remember sitting at a stoplight and watching a guy get out at a vacant gas station and get open up the back of his car and had boxes of those car flags, flags. And, and sold them in five minutes. And, I, I'll, you know, that's what it was unbelievable. And they knew it and they loved it. And you could see it on his face every time you saw him all through that run. And, Man. The, and the fact that Alan knew him, like Alan had trouble remembering some names who, because the beat, with the exception of maybe Tom Moore, I'll throw in there and Jack McCaffrey, the beat was kind of transient at that point. There were a lot of people coming in and out. He knew Phil, he knew John, and everybody else was kind of like you know window dressing at that point. Mike, go ahead. Hey, Rich, I'm just wondering, um, and, and I know I know you came to Philadelphia maybe a little after this. You have any thoughts on on Dick Allen or Richie Allen, as as I still call him, or or is that just a little bit before you? You know, I didn't grow up here and. He was gone by the time I got here, long gone. And uh, I, I, you know, I have very little connection. And uh, it's very clear that he he should be in the Hall of Fame, it seems to me. Um, But I never campaigned for him. It's funny. I mean, Stan was the big, Stan Hockman was the big guy campaigning for him. Right. I, I, like I'm an anti Hall of Fame guy. Kevin knows this. Um, yeah, we've we've disagreed on this. Yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't vote for people. I don't campaign for people. I, you know, for me, the baseball baseball should run the Hall of Fame themselves and pick their own people, and that's it. But uh, I'm actually coming around to your way of thinking on this, by the way. But, all right, but at the same time, just an objective look at the numbers says, "Wow, how did that happen?" It's really interesting, um, and. You know, like I said, I didn't live here, Mike. Um, I don't have, you know, I never went to County Mac Stadium. Um, mm-hmm. 
but I guess you did. So you saw him, right? Well, it, it, Rich, he came up in an era where race, racial tensions were very high. Um, and, you know, Philly sent him to Little Rock in 1962 to play minor league baseball. You know, Little Rock, 1962 or 63. And then there was an incident up here with Frank Thomas where I think Richie hit him over, hit him with a bat or they got into an argument. 66, all, I think. Yeah, and there was all kind of incidents. It was, and at the end of his time, it was bad. Like, people wanted him gone, um, you know, because he was the angry black guy and, and all this, and whatever. And then he went on and won an MVP and, and, and did things. But when you look back, and I think almost for what he – if he didn't have to go through all – if he had come up with, in a different organization, I think he would have been a clear – there would have been no doubt. He would have had a 15-year career that we would have been talking about, like some of the greats of all time, but he didn't. And I was on the fence with him. Um, but I think I've come – when I look at the numbers now, and like he's second to Hank Aaron, I think, in, in, in OPS or something for that era that he played. Well, to me, if you're second to Hank Aaron – you know, yeah. mm-hmm. you can end the conversation, but it's funny because I just wish if he was going to get in, I wish he'd gotten in before he passed, well, you know, and, and, that, and that's the, the problem. The problem was that they dragged their feet on this, uh, you know, and the veterans yeah. committee and all that. And obviously, look, you have 15 years on the ballot here uh, with, with the main chap or with the main voting body. But it was also a different time when there were some more people who played agendas. And and it's funny. I think a lot of people who didn't like him when he was here, because that was a different time in America. I mean, it just was. It was, a, yeah. it was, you know, I think have come to appreciate him. Like, I think he's one of those guys that's actually become, I don't want to use the word beloved, some, but he's just a lot more people appreciate him now than they did then. Yep. Rich Hoffman, former columnist of the end sports editor. Of uh, the Inquirer, well, of uh, the Daily News. I almost said Inquirer just to piss Kern off. Don't um, say that. <laughs> Rich, uh, happy holidays. All the best to you and the family. Uh, hopefully, we can catch up on some better times uh, down the road here. All right, fellas. Good talking to you. Thank you. Be good, man. Rich Take Hoffman. Care. And we'll be Thanks. back on Work on the Beat right after this. Our thanks to Rich Hoffman for joining us. Uh, always good to hear from Rich, who uh, oh, yeah. who is enjoying retirement as he should be. As he should, and he, it, you know, obviously, you know, I mentioned this um, to my friends since John passed away, and I, I think I was matched up when I appeared on Philly Sports Talk. I think I was probably teamed with John more than anybody else um, over that time. Probably close to either him and Danellen, uh or him or, and Sam Danellen, maybe one and two. Um, and you could yell at John about different things. And, and we had a couple heated arguments on the show. And you walk off and you, you know, he would slap you on the back and we'd laugh and joke and it was like nothing happened. And oh, uh, yeah. that that's the best testament I could say. That John, one of the great John Smallwood. One of my memories of Daily News Live, and I don't know what exactly what you're the Eagles played a game. And lost like forty-two to three or forty-two to nothing. I I, I don't know if it was they, they lost to a West Coast team, so I don't know if it was Seattle or or the Rams or whatever. And we come on the show the next day, and Michael, you know, as Michael can sometimes be, he had this thing that the Eagles quit. The, and 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 me and John were the two panelists, and we're like, no, they didn't. And this went on for like ten or fifteen minutes. I said, Michael. A team that quits, you know, you say quit, that's a derogatory, you know, they would have given up 30 points in the fourth quarter. 
and we and, and John and I, John just kept looking at me and mm-hmm. kept looking at him and, and we didn't back down and we were just kind of like in it. He says, well, then they weren't prepared well. I said, well, that might be. I said, maybe. But I said, you can't, Michael, say they quit. And John and I were both in it. But that's what made Daily Lose Live so great was that you could have differences of opinion and life went on. And, and I'll be honest, the more – the more time goes by, and I, I understand some people think that the show had passed its date of expiration and all that. Boy, I miss Daily News Live. I really do. I and mean, there was a time, and, and look, I, I don't or know. Or Philly Sports it, Talk or whatever they called it at the end there. But. Here's the, here was the problem with that show at near with the end. It was too much about other guests, and that's the way they won, and I get it. I, I don't mind that we were having people from other areas come in and be a guest. Well, that's why I, I ended up on it, but go ahead. Right. But, well, I'm just saying, but it, it got to a point where I think it was too much almost. Mm-hmm. It was Daily News Live. There was a reason it was Daily News Live, but that's okay. I think there was a time when the show was really, really good, um, if, especially if you got the right pairings or whatever of, of people. But I understand where, where Comcast was coming from and like the world was changing and and all that, and they wanted to get other voices on, and, and there, there's nothing wrong with that. I just think they got carried away with it, almost to the point that it was almost more people who weren't daily news people than there were people that were. And, you know, but that, look, as Eddie Barkowitz says all the time, we had a longer run than MASH. Yep. So, you know. Uh, uh, let, let me let me spend uh, the next couple of minutes with some other news that is happening here. Um uh, one uh, condolences, bad di- couple days for the Phillies family. Dennis Menke, who was the hitting coach on the 93 Phillies, former all-star. Uh, played for the Astros, right? Played for the Reds, too. Yeah, uh, he was a pretty good player back in the he, day. He passed away today. Um, and I'm trying to see uh, how old he was. The Phillies had sent out a statement. Uh, Probably in his 80s. Yeah, he played, he played 13 years in the majors. So if I'm not mistaken... I'm trying to remember how many members of that 93 coaching staff. I think Balboa's still alive, but I think that's it uh, because Vuk was on it. Obviously, uh, Jim Fergosi, uh, Johnny well, Padres. Was 27 years ago. It John. is hard I to believe. That, uh, thank yeah, 27 years is a long time, brother. <laughs> Don't tell me about it. Uh, it's funny. We think of 1993 as kind of like we don't think of it as 27 years ago. Hitting coach for seven seasons, 89 to 96, when Jim Fergosi was let go uh, Mm -hmm. and Terry Francona came in. So Dennis Mankey passes away. Um, In college football, two big cancellations uh, today. One, which is not going to rattle anybody. Cincinnati and Tulsa will not play. Uh, this well, they're going to they're going to play play in the following week for the for the American Conference Championship. So that's not a huge, huge deal. Well, it's it's only a huge deal if you think that Cincinnati somehow has a chance to get in the playoff. To get in the play, and it probably for Cincinnati, it also means getting in a, in a New Year's Bowl game, which for a team like Cincinnati is still a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it is, and th- well, they're probably going to get in one of the New Year's Six bowls, I would imagine. Well, but if, unless I mean, they, they lose, lose to Tulsa, Tulsa, maybe not. Um, maybe, Tulsa, maybe Tulsa gets in. I don't know. But the, the big one is Michigan-Ohio State has been canceled for the first time since 1917. Michigan's COVID outbreak is the blame. Um, and now the Big Ten has an issue uh, because they're looking at a championship game without without Ohio State. 
who won't play enough games. They won't have Wisconsin in because well, Wisconsin. Well, they're looking, they, Kevin, they are looking, it's been reported, at the possibility of maybe getting another opponent for Ohio State. Now, how they would do that, I don't know. But um, it's not they, good. They, well, the Big Ten will change its rules. They are not having they, – the, the athletic directors are meeting tomorrow, and I guarantee you, I'll bet everything I have against everything you have, that they will they will change the rule so Ohio State can play in the Big Ten title game. Uh, so they would try what, schedule a game for this Saturday? Right, but if that's not possible, let's just say for the sake of – because I don't know who – Who's not playing this week? I, I I don't have Big Ten schedule in front of me, but he- Heather Dinitz of ESPN was saying that was apparently being talked about. I will guarantee you that they will come out of that meeting tomorrow mm-hmm. and say, "Look, we can't penalize the number four team. They won't call them the number four team in coverage. They'll say Ohio State because Michigan couldn't play, uh, and we're going to let them play in the Big Ten title game, even though they've only played five games instead of six. And then Indiana can start bitching." I guess because Indiana would be the next team up. I guess, right? I would, think. Yeah, it would probably be Indiana, and Indiana, of course, beats Wisconsin last week. So Indiana is probably the second best team. Um. Yeah, but they lost to Ohio State, so they have one loss. Right. Um. And and yeah, I mean, I, look, what do I know? I'm just telling you, the Big Ten is not going to let an unbeaten Ohio State team. But think about this, Kevin. Let's say, for the sake of argument that Ohio State does not play in the Big Ten title game. Let's yeah. just say. And they're 5-0. and Does the college football playoff people put them in the playoff? That's a good question. Because they could, and in my estimation, they would. <sighs> you know. There's it, no rules. No, There's no. no rules. Yeah. I, I understand. I would also point out that, you know, the Big Ten's approach this whole year of deciding not to play, then deciding to play. Now they're going to try to maybe change the rules on the fly. It does not look good for them at all. They, when you try to be holier than thou, this often happens. So it's yeah. – uh, and then the last bit of news, obviously, is there's a report by Woj, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski at Woj bomb. Woj bomb. Woj bomb. Woj bomb. Uh, Kern still doesn't know a Shams bomb yet, but he knows a Woj know, bomb. And I never will because – what what is Shams on? Shams is on the Athletic. Oh, uh, I don't see. I'm yeah. I won't know then. Um, <clears throat> the uh, James Harden has indicated he would be willing to take a trade to the Sixers and uh, and others. Uh, the idea well, being the Nets. The Nets would be a team. The Nets would be others at this right. point. Uh, Rockets and Sixers, according to Woj, have not had substantial talks about a Harden deal. They have no intention of breaking up, according to Woj, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, which means there's probably not going to be a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, James Harden's been seen in nightclubs this week. He has not reported to, to Rockets camp. Um, he is in, quote-unquote, COVID protocol. But mm-hmm. part of the COVID protocol was he went to a party where mm-hmm. he's you know, he was holding out. He went to a party. Went without a face mask. Yeah, he's not in COVID protocol. Yeah. Uh, so, you know. But remember, the NBA is the one league where stars can do that. Anthony Davis got off of the New Orleans last year because he wanted to. Ended up where he wanted to, got the contract he wanted. 
That's what happens in that league. That the the people with enough power, LeBron can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's certain amounts of players. Giannis might be in that category if he so chooses to be. Um, the question then becomes: If you're the Sixers and you're Maury, and you just pronounced your love for James Harden when you were leaving Houston, do you pursue this? And is it something the Sixers should pursue? Well, and what would the Sixers have to give up if they do pursue? If they're adamant, well, they're not going to trade Simmons. And okay, so I don't see a way this happens. Okay, if you're not, and you're probably right, but if going on that premise that you're not going to trade because it would seem to me that Simmons would be the guy you'd be giving up, right? Because Harden's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Mm-hmm. Simmons has the ball in his hands a lot. Uh, if you're not going to do that, and Houston says, "Well, if we're not getting one of those two guys," that's it. But could you put together a package? It would obviously have to include Harris um, because the money's got to match up. It would have to include draft picks, which I don't care about draft picks. They, 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 you know, you can give them a couple number ones, whatever. Um, you don't even have to protect them if you don't want to. Um, what other body could you give up? That Maybe the guy they just drafted from Kentucky? I would um, assume. Who's, by the way, in COVID protocol. Yeah, well. So if you gave them a package of Tobias, the guy you just drafted number one, two future number ones, and Houston knows they're going to lose this guy anyway, is that enough? And if you're the Sixers, does the makeup of your team, putting Harden in for Tobias, um, does that work? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think it works. Uh, I because wonder of the two, because of the two, pro, the two guys have to have the ball. Yeah. I mean, there's also cap questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would also say, I mean, because you, if you have basically three guys making max contracts, well, doesn't Harris make a, a well, he a, makes a good chunk. Yeah. I mean, they're close. They're close. I, um, yeah. and, and does Harden, like if he's coming here because of the guy that's now running your team. Yeah. Um, would he make concessions? or would he, It seems to me, this is just my take on this. I could be totally wrong. James Harden would like to win a championship or at least get to a final or right. do something. In the West, with the way Houston is coming, he can't. Looks, he can't. You know that. I know that. His best chance was a few years ago when they were up 3-1. The one thing that bothers me a little bit is a lot of his teammates have not talked great about him. No. Chris Paul, you know, didn't talk great about him. I'm not sure Westbrook did. Um, and there was another guy I'm forgetting, but but irregardless, he averages 35 a game. Um, and, and, I'll, and I'll bring this up. I think there's a maturity issue too. I mean, again, let me put Harden was posted pictures on Instagram over the weekend attending rapper Little Baby's birthday party in Atlanta. Yeah. Vic, videos and pictures of Harden hanging out in Las Vegas nightclubs have circulated on social yeah. media past couple of days. NBA has not announced disciplinary action due to Harden violation of the league's COVID protocols to require players to quarantine except for essential activities and team-sanctioned workouts and forbid players from attending parties and clubs. Kevin, they're all idiots. They're all divas, okay? They might be nice guys. All these guys do this. I'm sure Ben said, you know, we, we should, should he be doing should, for, Doing it's one thing. Getting it posted on... on posting it yourself. Is, it, well, that look, that, and, and again... I'm not sure James Harden is, from a um, um, chemistry standpoint, what you want. I'm not sure. I don't know this. 
I just know he averages 35 a game. And if you put him in a situation where you're basically putting him in for Tobias Harris, it's an upgrade. But is it an upgrade that you think you can live with? Um, you know, I, I don't know this. I mean, Doc, Doc Rivers is the guy that's going, going, you know, but what if Maury goes to Doc Rivers and say, hey, Doc, we can do this. We can give up two first-round picks, our, our first-round pick that we just took, and Tobias, you know, and, and pull this off. What does Doc say? Uh, you know, uh, you know, you're going to turn your back on on an on an MVP. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 you know, it's it's a really because you would think the Sixers with those three players, at the very least, should be able to get get to the East Final, right? I mean, I don't know. It seems like a pretty good trio to me. You would think. Um, but then again, Harden has the ball in his hands. You know, eighty percent of the time, um, Ben Simmons is going to have the ball in his hands a lot, and Doc apparently has come out in the last couple of days and has just been raving about Ben. So, yeah, I I think I would the selfish part of me, Kevin, would like to see how this plays out with Doc. Yeah, but you you might not have that time frame because this this is something that might have to get done in, in the next week or two. I, I you know I don't know. It's fascinating. It's fascinating hearing somebody mention Philadelphia at the top of the list. Kevin, I'm going to tell you something. I've come to realize this more and more in the last couple of weeks. Philadelphia is never uninteresting. No. Never. Never. I mean, look at the story the other night that the Phillies won to trade Wheeler. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's true. Oh, no. It was it was complete horse, horse shit. Well, how, let me ask you a question. Then. Okay. Because you're still part of the, the, the media that, and, and you're, you're in the baseball. How does a guy get away with writing that? Please tell me this. Um, look, and I'm not going to criticize Buster. This isn't this isn't a Buster issue. Yeah, Buster Buster has a good reputation, right? Right. Okay. Um, my opinion is there are is this. Let me explain. This would have been the winter meetings week, right? Okay. And at the winter meetings in the lobby, there's a lot of rumors that are floated around, executive to executive scout the scout, whatever, kind of to put people on the false set of, of a trade or to create havoc for another organization. Mm -hmm. I think that's what this was. I think this was something that people knew, wow, those are kind of, you know, rudderless and, and, and lifeless right now. You know, no, no GM, no, all this. And maybe there was a, casual conversation that got kicked around. Hey, would you think about trading Wheeler? Well, you know, if the offer's right. So I, suddenly I think it gets blown up into something bigger. But if you're Buster, okay, because I've been in that situation. Sure. have been in that situation. Don't you, before you write the story, have to get a comment from the Phillies? I mean, don't you have to get um, or See, to me, you do. Because the way it ran was, and I, I read the story. I saw they the weren't story. the only, he, Buster was not the only one who ran this. I should point out. But what I'm saying is, the way the story ran at first was sources said. And I don't even know if it identified what the, who the sources were. No, I, but but I mean, like if it was like a, a team official, if it was no, it, it, it was it was sources within the game. It wasn't even okay. A Phillies connected sources source. within the game. So Buster that the Phillies the were shopping Zach Wheeler okay. around. It's a he, yeah, it, it's a headline. It's a headline on ESPN. It's sure. Then you come back an hour, an hour on and an NFL later. Sunday. By the way, it was a headline on ESPN. Okay. You come back an hour, an hour and a half later. 
with a comment from John Middleman. John Milton saying this is bullshit. Well, don't you have to get the this is bullshit comment into the first story? See, that's my problem with all this. That's the way journalism is now. And I'm not saying Buster was wrong. But what I'm saying is everybody wants to throw something out and then throw the other part of it as a follow-up story. No, no, no. That would be like somebody saying, um, this, like yesterday, let's say, somebody said, uh, Doug Peterson, a source has said that Doug Peterson is starting Carson Wentz. Well, whatever. And then today he comes out and does you know, Or an hour later, they quote Doug Peterson saying that that's that's nonsense. You know, you can't. You got to have that in the first story. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, Mike. But I'm just saying yeah. that this is the way. This is the way they that the business now. It, it's wrong. Yeah, but this is why people don't trust the business. Now, Kenny Rosenthal has followed it up saying that there he has people saying that it happened. So. You know, is there a disconnect of the owner heard this for the first time and went, whoa, 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 whoa? That's yeah, possible. Yeah. Sure, it's possible. All I'm saying is it would almost be like if some, like, I, I'll give you an example. That but you, let, let, me, let, me, let me sum this up, okay, with the Phillies. I don't rule anything out. I don't either. I, I don't either. But years ago, I remember there was a story that was happening in Villanova. That people, there, there's things floating out there. Okay, so now we got to go check on it. I did not run a story saying, hey, there's these things floating out there. Yeah, I know. Here's what they're floating. And then, like. But Mike, and, and Mike, I know which case you're talking about because it's the one we both covered at that point. Right. And then three and, days later, after I got information that said, no, these, these were not true, then write another story. You can't do it that way. You can't. And to me, and I respect Buster, I respect Kenny Rosenthal, I respect all those guys, but you can't just, and I'm sure this happens with Woj, I'm sure it happens with all these guys, Schefter, because there's so much pressure on them to, you know, produce these 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 uh, headlines. Bombs, yeah. you got to be better than that, because then the next time Buster Olney comes to the Phillies and wants something, I'm going to say, yo, Buster, whether, whether it was true or not. And I'm not doubting that the Phillies that somebody in the Phillies might have put the message out there. Hey, you know, if Wheeler was on the market, I want to get us. Yeah, you know, and I'm sure that happens with a lot of guys. And that's embarrassing to the Phillies because now they're being painted as these cheap guys. You know, after already being painted as cheap guys. But geez, I, I don't know, Kevin. It's just, you can't have a headline at one o'clock and then have the headline be different at two o'clock. You can't. It, that, but again, I'm from a different era. My era was I'd rather get beat on a story than get it wrong. And that was always the way I was. And I had a little bit of a problem when the business started to change because yeah. I, I just, you know, just get it right. That should be the first rule of journal. And I'm not saying Buster wasn't right. I'm not saying that there wasn't a source somewhere that said that. But then to me, you have to at least go to somebody from the Phillies and say, hey, these people are saying this. What is your reaction? You know? Let and, me and let me put in a, a rare case see, again. Before you do that, do you think they would trade Wheeler? No. Now you can't. Not with with I wouldn't trade him for Babe Ruth. Your owner says you can't do it. Well, he said stupid money too, or whatever. Well, but he did spend that money that year. Yeah, but now he's not spending. Now he's not. But okay. and this is where it kind of ties into what I was gonna say. Everybody in Philadelphia believes this is a Phillies-only issue. 
And they point to the 80 layoffs and they point to, mm-hmm. you know, their the real Mudo situation and all that. Let me give you an example. Uh, this is Brick Garoli from uh, The Athletic in Washington. Sources. The Washington Nationals just laid off nearly their entire D.C. sales team mm-hmm. from the corporate partnership, ballpark ops, all based in D.C. Numbers around 18, haven't conferred the exact number. That followed layoffs in June for this group, but obviously this is worse. Service and full-time box office staff believed to be safe, but we'll hear from the organization later. This is a baseball issue. This is a cross-the-board, and this is why this year is going to be the toughest free agent market we've right. ever seen. But but the two problems, there's two problems. One is Washington's not our team. We don't care about Washington. No, but I, I, I'm, no, I'm no. giving I perspective that this Kevin, isn't just a Phillies issue. What does perspective have to do with anything? I under, you're, you're 150% right. You said this a month ago, two months ago. I get it. I get it. But it doesn't – we're talking about the Phillies. We're talking about people that you know. So it, it strikes us differently. And the comment he made about the stupid money is going to haunt him like Jeffrey Lurie's comment about the gold standard. When you say things like that, no matter how you meant them or no, no matter how much you tried to implement that, you're, you're never going to get over it. You, you just aren't until, you know, you win a World Series or something. Um, that's just the way it is because people will throw that back at you forever and ever and ever, just like Jeffrey had to listen about that gold standard for like 15 years, you know, until he finally won a championship Yeah, because it was a stupid thing to say. I know what he was saying. We want to be... You know, we want to be thought of as one of the best franchises in the NFL. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and, and Middleton did spend $200 million. I'm not knocking him for that. But then when push came to shove, you know, do you want to try to spend more and go over it? No, 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 we can't do that. Well, people are going to perceive that. And that was before the coronavirus, really. Um, they're going to perceive that the way, well, wait a minute. You said you were going to spend stupid money, and now you're telling me you're not. So... That's how Philadelphia is. I mean, it it's, doesn't make it right or wrong or, you know, whatever. It just, um, you know, that's why you shouldn't make statements like that. You shouldn't say I'm not going to trade him for Babe Ruth because somebody might offer you Babe Ruth. You know, and then what do you do? Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, we'll give you Mike Trout for, uh, for um, Wheeler. Nah, we can't do that because I already told the people of Philadelphia I ain't going to do that. You, you paint yourself in the corners that you don't want to be painted into. I think this is sometimes why Jeff Lurie keeps his mouth shut now or why Howie Roseman doesn't talk because they know that they're probably going to say something that we're going to sit there and go, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, time out, boss, <laughs> you know? Um, but, that, hey, look, that's what makes the world spin. It's, it, you know, it's, it's what keeps uh, barroom conversations going and, you know, and as John Smallwood would have told you, it's not the most important thing in the world. No, no, but uh, God rest. You know, God, I, man, he was, he was, he was. You know, we say that good man. A lot of things good. He was a great yeah, man. He was. He really was. He was. He he did. You know, look, all of us in this business have some sort of an ego, but his ego was a lot smaller than a lot of others. I used to see him come into the Daily News, um, Daily News Live, you know, with his crutches, mm-hmm. his, his walk, and, and you know, and you look at him and you're like, John, you drove all the way up from Delaware because he lived in Delaware, Delaware, right? Um, 
it's because him and his wife, his wife worked in Annapolis and he worked up here. So they lived like in Smyrna, um, halfway. And I'm just thinking like, my God, John, like just to come do this show, you have to go through this or to cover a game at, uh, you know, the, the Wachovia Center or whatever. It's well, yeah. And, and I can tell you, like I saw him a couple times. He would do a couple Sunday games for the Phillies and um, he would sit in the back row with uh, myself and uh, Leslie Goodell, and, uh, and sounds like G- the best road to be on, pal. And, and Jim and Jim and Jim Jackson was there. Howard was there. Jolowitz was there. Um, occasionally get John Clark, but he would also, you know, he would sit at the end when when he had his issues. He would you know, stretch out his foot on the one desk, and we would just talk, and we would talk about family. This is after I got married. Yep, we we talked about family. We talked about how how much. And he would always look at me and go, I don't know how you guys do this every day. Kevin, I used to say the same thing. When I would come down there, I'd see see, like Mike Rodano. I used to sit next to Mike Rodano, I think, when I was filling in. And I'd say, how do you guys do this? Like 80 times a year, or if you were going on the road 140 times a year, whatever whatever it would amount. I I think it's the toughest. It's one of the toughest jobs. It really is. It's just, you know. But And the one thing about John was – I never remember him, and I'm sure he did. I never remember him complaining about his plight in life. Nope, never. And I remember a couple times he would say to me, like, yeah, Mike, you know, it is hard. When when I left the paper, he was given the Villanova beat. Mm-hmm. And I knew he couldn't. And he called me, and he goes, Mike, what do you think? Like, I said, John, look, you know, you do the best you can if you think you're right. And, and he did it for about a month, and then he just called me. He said, Mike, I can't do this. It's just too much. And I said, John, I get it. I, I, I totally understand. And, um, but he never like, and I think most people in that situation are probably like that because what good is complaining going to do? You know, and then it sort of makes me feel like an idiot when I complain about something totally stupid. Mm -hmm. You know, my TV's not working, you know, uh, you know, you know, the price of meat went up, uh, you know, whatever I'm sick. Um, you know, on and on and on and on and on. And, and here's a guy just trying to get around every day, you know, to do his job, to be with his family, to be a man, and persevering through it. Um, Because I, I don't think any of us can understand exactly. He told me a couple times, like, what he'd gone through in his life. And it was just like, because I didn't realize he'd been sick in college. Right. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that part. Um, And it was, like, mind-boggling. It really was, and you just got emotional. Um, you know, I it's 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 sad, but he but I have to believe, other than the fact that he's not with his daughter and his wife, that he's in a better place. Um, and I'm sure he's still with them in some way. So, you know, our thoughts again to the uh, vet, his wife, and his daughter Ryan. Uh, John Smallwood was 55 years old. Um, we'll be back on Friday to talk more about the games people play. And, um, uh, you know, this has been a busy Tuesday. Uh, but Will James Harden be a sixer by then? <laughs> who knows? Uh, this has been a busy Tuesday, but uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you to Rich Hoffman for joining us, for sharing some of the memories about our friend John Smallwood. And for Mike, I'm Kev. We'll talk to you on Friday. Be well.